Hi, everyone. Welcome. This is the Prison Yoga Project podcast. My name is Blair Embry. I'm the communications manager for Prison Yoga Project, and we are so excited to be welcoming our guest here today, Dr. Jennifer Wyatt Bourgeois. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Dr. Jen is a professor of criminal justice at Lone Star College with degrees in forensic science and criminal justice. She completed her doctoral studies in administration of justice department of the Barbara Jordan Mickey Leland School of Public Affairs at Texas Southern University. She is a postdoctoral fellow at the Center for Justice Research. Her work and research have focused on risk and resilience among youth impacted by family and or parental incarceration, disparities in the criminal justice system and criminal justice reform. She brings her love of yoga to that work with an interest in the intersection of yoga and social justice. Welcome, Dr. Jen. Thank you so much for having me, Blair. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited too. So before we start chatting, will you lead us in a centering opportunity? Yes, I will. So thank you. Everybody will um, get comfortable on a mat or in your chair, wherever you would like to um, kind of enjoy this, this process of grounding and a little bit of breath work. So I'll give you a couple of seconds just to kind of, you know, find your balance, make sure you're your phone is on silent, all that good stuff. And then when you're ready, you either feel comfortable and safe, or you can shift your gaze kind of downward, whatever feels good for you. You can sit down, sit up, do what serves you best. And just take a moment to take in a deep inhale through your nose and a big exhale back out through your mouth. Nice cleansing breath. Do that again. Deep inhale through your nose. Big exhale, cleansing breath out through your mouth again. Another time. Inhale through your nose. This time, just gently place your lips together. Exhale back out through your nose and just begin to allow your shoulders to relax away from your ears. And as you just take a moment to pause, Just remember for the next hour and a half, you have nothing to do, nothing to fix, nothing to control. This time is for you. Just enjoy the conversation that we're going to have. Take another deep inhale through your nose. Big exhale out through your nose again. And then just begin to scan your body from the soles of your feet all the way to the crown of your head. And just notice that there are any places in your body that you can soften. Are there any places within your body that needs a little bit of love and attention? And if so, taking a deep inhale through your nose. And on your exhale, send your breath to that particular body part. Another deep inhale, exhale out. And just kind of reminding yourself that there is nothing more essential to our health and our well-being than breathing. We take about 25,000 breaths a day. 
So as you take another inhale, another exhale back out, think about how you're going to spend your 25,000 breaths. And maybe with that, with each breath throughout the day, you release something that no longer serves you. Take another deep inhale through your nose. Big exhale back out through your nose. And maybe you just remind yourself that is, it is okay to be still. It is okay to pause throughout your day. And maybe you even recite that to yourself, repeat that to yourself. I am still. I understand that there are times to move. Another deep inhale through your nose. Exhale back out. And just take a few more breaths on your own and at your own pace. One more deep inhale, big exhale out, shoulders fall away from your ears, and just slowly begin to bring awareness and attention back into your bodies by wiggling your toes, wiggling your fingers, and maybe you begin to flutter your eyes open if they were closed. Maybe you place one hand on your heart, one hand on your belly, just feel your breath again. Exhale back out. And thank you so much for sharing space with me and sharing your breath work with me. Awesome. Thank you. Welcome. I really love this idea of your day being woven with 25,000 breaths. Right. That's a lot of breath. That's a lot of inhales and exhales. And like a lot of opportunity to check in. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It makes the day feel even more spacious. It does. It makes you think about how are you going to spend each one of those breaths and noticing each one of those breaths. And I feel like I kind of, at first I was like, oh my gosh, that's a lot. You know, I feel like I kind of could spin in anxiety of like thinking about the number, but then I also maybe was feeling that there's um, a security in that number. Oh, there's so many breaths. Yep. Yeah. Many. It's like you have multiple times throughout the day to pause and reflect. That's how I kind of look at the 25,000 breaths is how you choose to spend those breaths. And I share that with the ladies at the facility all the time. I ask them about how are you spending your 25,000 breaths? I love that. What's your first memory of yoga? My first memory of yoga was around about in 2014. Um, I start. I went to a yoga class because during the time I was very ambitious. I had decided that I was going to train for a half marathon. So I always tell people that running is what brought me 
to yoga. And I started running because I was dealing with the loss of my grandfather a couple of years prior to that. So my first memory of yoga was stepping into this small privately owned yoga studio in the Houston area, not knowing what to expect. I saw that there were a lot of options on the schedule and I signed up for this yoga class called Ashtanga Fusion. I had no idea what Ashtanga yoga was. I had no idea what this fusion of Ashtanga yoga was going to be. But I just remember leaving out of that class feeling a sense of calmness and a sense of just this amazement that I was able to connect breath and movement with other people in the same classroom or in the same room. And at that moment, nothing else mattered. Nothing on the outside, all the stress that I was dealing with mattered. All that mattered in that class was that I remembered to breathe, remind myself to breathe. So that's my first memory of taking a yoga class. Incredible. And how did it grow from there? Lots of curiosity, um, learning all the different types of yoga. I, I really didn't know much about yoga. Um, I just knew it was something that people did to stretch and they breathe and they meditated. But I didn't know there was different types of yoga. I never knew that. So from there, I just learned more about yoga. I took workshops at that particular yoga studio. I tried other yoga studios um, as a way of like a sense of, of belonging. Um, so that that's kind of how I remember it. And that's just that one class just spiraled into a lot of different ways to learn about yoga. And then you know, we're kind of weaving in several themes here. What pulled you towards transformative justice? Wow. So that that's a great question. If you would have asked me in 2014, when I took that first yoga class, that I would be sitting here today as a professor, as a yoga teacher, as a yoga researcher, all of that, I would have never believed it. So that's how I kind of gave myself the title Yogi Scholar. It's like where yoga and academia collide. And it was a lot of moments that took place that led me there. One of the um, sayings that my really good friend always said, she said it just this morning, enjoy the wave, trust the process. And that's exactly what I did. Um, so I've been, you know, by, prof by profession, I'm a professor and I have over 10 years of experience working as a criminal justice practitioner. So that's just kind of one component. And then I had this component on the other side of being a practicing yogi and being and then eventually becoming a yoga teacher. And all of that kind of collided, I would say, about 2020. As you know, during that time, we were dealing with a lot of different things, um, a lot of different things. The, the murder of George Floyd, we were dealing with um, the pandemic. And it was during that time that I decided and I was working on my, my dissertation for my Ph.D. And it was that time that I decided um, I wanted to take a yoga teacher training for a couple of different reasons. One, to dive deeper into my personal yoga practice 
because I was finding myself overwhelmed with everything that was going on in the world. There was a lot of things going on as well as a time to just ground myself and learn about yoga. And from that, it just, everything just kind of started happening. My dissertation focuses on, it focused on parental incarceration. So looking at the impact that incarceration has on children, as well as trying to identify in the county that I reside, how many parents are in the Harris County Jail. And throughout my research, I started to realize uh, that there was a lack of well-being or our wellness program programming in correctional facilities. So that just put me into a rabbit hole and trying to find out, are there yoga and mindfulness programs in carceral settings? So it was a lot of different things happening at, at the same time. And all those things collided that eventually got me to where I am now with teaching yoga inside of a correctional facility. I think you're so cool. I'm just, I'm sitting here grinning for anyone who's not on video. I just, I think that your path is, is incredible and it benefits so many people. So during your research for your dissertation, will you talk to us about some of the things that you realized within the county you were working in? Yeah. So within the county that I was, I was looking at, um, I was solely focused on, I wanted to see if there was a difference in the type of offenses that individuals were um, arrested for based upon their parental status. So essentially, I wanted to know, was there a difference in the type of crimes um, or arresting charges of parents versus non-parents? And the reason why that's important to know is because punishment shouldn't be a one size fit all. And I wanted to see you know, what were the number of um, what was the number of individuals that were in the Harris County jail that were parents? What percentage of those individuals were um, mothers, fathers? What were their type of offenses? So a lot of research about parental incarceration is at the national level. And research shows that anywhere from five to 10 million children are impacted by having a parent incarcerated. So I wanted to look at that on the local level. I feel like Change happens at the local level. That's where the majority of our criminal justice takes place is at the local level. So I wanted to zero in on um, Harris County Jail and in, in my area to see how can I help my help my county in this particular um, situation. So across the nation, there's about 230,000 women that are incarcerated. So 10 approximately 10% of the incarceration um, population are women. Then as we zero in and we kind of look at Texas, that's when I realized the numbers started to get, you know, very interesting. And then when I even zeroed in even more, so about in 2020, more than 120 women gave birth in Texas prisons. That's, that's, a, that's, that's a fairly big number. Um, so all of that, while doing all of my research, um, it just, it just everything just started kind of coming together. So from parental incarceration to looking at, you know, mothers, fathers, and then really zeroing in in Harris County um, and looking at all those different areas. Wow. OK, so between five and 10 million children have an incarcerated parent in this country. Yeah, they've been impacted by having a parent incarcerated. And that number can include whether or not it's jail or prison. 
Um, I was focused on, um, in my research, looking at the local level. So I wanted to know, you know, how many um, parents were at the local level versus um, prison, because a lot of information out there looks at parental incarceration through the lens of state facilities. So long-term confinement. But what the research shows as well, even for a short stay in a county jail, um, when a parent is separated from their child, it causes disruption in, in the child's lives. So I wanted to really focus at the local level. Digging in a little bit more, when we had our first meeting, you spoke that the jail wasn't even keeping track if people were parents. Will you talk about what you found? Yeah. So what happens, um, there's an intake form. And at that particular time when um, I decided to do the study, because it started off as a collaborative kind of um, a, a study that took place with a couple of different um, stakeholders and community members within the um, within the county. So during that time um, on the intake form, there were not questions that asked about parental status. So eventually what was added to the intake form was question was just the simple question, are you a parent? Yes or no. And then based upon that, if you are a parent, it asks some more detailed questions, how many children. Um, and then that's how I kind of formulated the methodology for my for my dissertation and looking at the type of charging offenses that the parents versus non-parents committed. Thank you. And then. I'm, I'm I'm building it bigger so then we can zoom in on on the work that you do and the people that you serve. But what is the impact of having a parent incarcerated? It can be a lot of different things. There's a disruption in the stability in the home life. So if, for example, if a mother is incarcerated, they're usually um, the breadwinner of that household if they're in a single parent household. So when that if a mother is arrested where will that child go to for the however many days that the parent is detained in a county jail? What the research shows is usually that usually those children or that child will go to the maternal grandmother. But if the maternal grandmother is not a part of that child's life, then the option is foster care. So just that alone, it disrupts just the household. Also, we know that there are socioeconomic um, implications. We also know that it affects um, school. So when that mother's removed from the child, from the um, household, the child, where, where are they going to, um, are they going to go to, are they still going to continue to go to that same school or will they be changed to a different school? Say if that child has to stay with the grandparent, as well as there's research that also shows other things such as um, uh, mental uh, impacting their mental health and things of that nature. But, but true. And like I said, uh, um, Originally, um, at the beginning of the conversation, that my research also looks at the resilient factor. So there are some children that are resilient in the midst of having a parent incarcerated. So it's also important to note that as well. We also have to look at the adversities of, of what happens to children when their parent is removed from the household. Thank you for sharing this. And I, we did an interview about two years ago and... Um, the guest had spoken that when you incarcerate a mother and impacts the entire community. It does. Those collateral consequences, it definitely impacts the entire community. So when a person is incarcerated, it has these lasting effects. You know, it's just a trickle down effect. It just doesn't affect the person that's incarcerated. Thank you. And so 
You facilitate yoga to incarcerated and system impacted mothers. Will you talk to us about maybe someone, how someone got to this program and maybe just kind of uh, talk about Santa Maria, the facility? So Santa Maria is one of the largest um, or Texas largest multi-site residential facility. And they have a lot of different programs at that particular facility, residential, as well as outpatients, um, substance use disorder treatment programs. Um, so as I was trying to find a place to um, teach yoga in the Houston area, you know, off the top, I was trying to figure out um, how do I get into um, either a prison or the county jail. This was also during the time of the pandemic. It was it was a lot of different things going on. And then we slowly started coming out of the pandemic. So I came across Santa Maria and I literally had a list of places like and I would just call. I would just email. And it's important to note that a lot of these places are grassroots places or they are nonprofit. Uh, so with there, a lot of them are run by um, a lot of the different programs. They have volunteer coordinators. So I can't, and I was very intentional. I wanted to find a place that was also um, nearby where I know I can navigate and, and get to it um, within a certain amount of time or whatnot. So I found Santa Maria. Super excited about this particular place because they offer a lot of different services specifically for women who are pregnant or women that are postpartum. Um, they have a lot of different programs. All of the programs are not specifically for justice-involved women, but the two specific programs that I facilitate yoga for, those women are justice-involved. Can you talk about those two programs? Yeah, so the first one is called WHO, um, Women Helping Others. And um, that one is... Those individuals have been placed into the, into the particular um, program through like the probation department. So these are individuals that um, they're serving their their sentence. It's it's a residential facility. It's important to note to note that because um, it doesn't look like your typical correctional facility. So it's residential. They they, they have apartments and stuff like that, but it is still considered a lockdown facility. So I still have to check in and everything like that. So with that being said, um, it's, um, it's about a 180-day program, and this treatment is an alternative to incarceration. That's important to notice as well as alternative incarceration, and it's tailored towards women um, dealing with substance use disorders and who meet a variety of program criteria, such as either being pregnant or postpartum or having some type of serious um, health condition. Amazing and explained so well. Thank you. Okay. That was the first first program that they locked me in to teach yoga through. Um, And then based upon that program, they invited me to teach yoga for the Bambi program. So the Bambi program is baby and mother bonding initiative. And this provides housing and supportive services to new mothers and their newborns that are referred to um, Santa Maria from the Texas Department of Criminal Justice. And the main purpose of that program is to reduce recidivism and promote healthy parenting, recovery, and life skills. So the way I kind of explain to individuals is the WHO program is more so at the local level, dealing with the probation department. And then the Bambi program are individuals um, through the TDC program, through the state facility. Both programs, um, the women are either currently pregnant 
or um, they're postpartum. Okay, and then I have two questions. So the, the Bambi, is that another an additional lockdown facility? So it's residential? Yeah, it's at the same facility as Santa Maria, but they're kind of separated. Bambi is at on one or one section of the facility and then the who um, individuals are like in the other living quarters. But when you get there, it looks like a small community of apartments. There's, there's a playground and a gazebo in the middle. And we practice yoga outside there before. So it doesn't necessarily give the feel of um, an actual correctional facility, even though it is a lockdown. It is, it is a facility that is locked down. And it's a credible opportunity to keep mother and baby together. Absolutely. So that's why I was so, so excited to be able to teach at this particular facility. So in your mind, you know, you kind of throughout this process, like in this mind, in my mind, I kind of was like, oh, I want to be in a correctional facility and I want to do this. And I had to make that pivot when this opportunity presented itself, which was it, it just it's just been such an amazing experience to teach at this particular facility. And then I, what if a mother has multiple babies? What if they are pregnant and then they have another child? Is the, is the other child welcome into the facility as well? Good question. Um, from the, the individuals that I interact with um, in those two um, particular programs, they only have one child with them. So they're either currently pregnant. No other child is there. Um, or they have their baby, they already, they've already had their baby and that particular baby is there with them. So I don't know of, of any individual that's there in those two programs right now that has um, multiple babies at the facility with them. Okay, thank you. And what made, what made you say yes to this opportunity of working with mothers and babies? It, it was just, it, I just had to do it. I mean, I remember I, I was getting a little discouraged and um, trying to find a facility, trying to find a way to bring this yoga and wellness into the carceral setting. Um, so I was getting a little discouraged because I, I would call lots of places and, and not get a not, and not receive a call back and things of that nature. But I remember um, when I called Santa Maria, the volunteer coordinator, Marsha, she called me back very promptly. It was that same day. And I explained to her you know, what I wanted to provide and things of that nature. And her response was, so when can you start? When can you start? Let's get you in a training. Like that, that same day, like I started filling out all the paperwork that needed to be um, filled out. Um, it, it was pretty, it moved pretty quick after that once I took the necessary steps, but I, I just had to do it. Amazing. Will you tell us about the benefits of having yoga and mindfulness accessible to pregnant or new mothers? Yeah. So my main goal with um, yoga is I want it to be accessible and equitable to everybody. And I want to create a, create a pathway for yoga for people in correctional facilities because they may never see the inside of a studio for various reasons. It, it's, it's costly to get a membership at a yoga studio and to do drop-in prices. So I wanted to create a pathway to yoga for individuals that are um, incarcerated. And I wanted to also be mindful of teaching through a trauma-informed lens as well and just the benefits that um, it could provide. Because being incarcerated, 
is traumatizing and re-traumatizing. So I wanted to provide this particular type of yoga so that those individuals could have different ways to process of dealing with what they're dealing with while they're incarcerated. Beautiful. Thank you. And this is a really progressive alternative, I would say, and especially for Texas. Do you know the history or or was this like from communal pressure that these programs got started? Do you know how? I'm not sure. Um, I know um, there has been a push for um, different alternatives to incarceration um, and things of that nature. And that was actually um, based upon my, um, my dissertation, the research that was actually one of my recommendations in the conclusion in in policy implications section of my dissertation. Um, I mentioned the need for alternatives to incarceration, um, as well as more gender and um, parent responsive programming. So it's good to see that Texas is taking, at least at the um, where I'm at, you know, taking the necessary steps to be willing to offer some of these um, wellness programming inside of facilities and it's usually through nonprofits kind of stepping up and allowing volunteers to come in and offer these services. Amazing. And what are some of the, you know, I don't want to necessarily say transformations because that's not why we're going into witness transformation, but what are some of the benefits that you've witnessed by offering the accessibility of yoga and mindfulness? Yeah. So one of the first ones that, the um, the individuals always share with me is they get the chance to move their bodies and they're able to get up, walk around. We do walking meditations. Um, so they're just great. They're just um, grateful to have another opportunity to get them moving. They're also grateful for the opportunity because during that hour that we're together, um, so usually when they come to see me, before they come see me, um, they drop off their baby at daycare. So there's a daycare on the site. So that's kind of my favorite part when I also get to, you know, arrive at the facility and see them with their strollers and they're waving at me. I get to peek in and see the babies and they drop off the babies and then they come and um, they have this space. So I'm very intentional in letting them know you don't have to participate for the hour. If you want to just lay on your mat, because this is the only hour of the day that you have a moment to breathe because it's important to realize some of them, it's their first, um, it's their first child. So this adjusting to motherhood and lack of sleep and all of that, this may be the one time on the day that I facilitate a class for them that they get a moment to just rest. And they'll share with me if their child is teething or if they, if the baby was fussy the night before. So it gives a lot of that as well. So I truly believe that it's going to have lasting effects on their physical, emotional, psychological, and just all that, that their entire well-being. Beautiful. And I think, you know, I, I have a lot of friends that are in early motherhood um, and the opportunity to continue to reclaim your own embodiment and remember who you are is what I've heard that's really important to um my friends that are raising new people. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. You said that you came with some stats that you would like to share as well. Is there anything that we hadn't covered that you would like to dive into? 
think I dropped a couple of good ones. Um, that one about in 2020, more than 120 women gave birth while in Texas prisons. That number I just kind of keep with me. And it's a reminder of why this work is necessary and why the women at these facilities should have the option to um, and the opportunity to have their babies with them because we know about all the um, adversities that children will be impacted by having their mother incarcerated. So we can lessen that by at the, at the very beginning, allowing them to be in programs like who and Bambi, where they can still bond with their babies um, after giving birth, that 120 number just kind of sticks with me. And that number fluctuates, you know, year to year, but that number um, definitely um, sticks with me. Um, Also just in general, just kind of realizing that over 50% of women, specifically in my county as well, are 50% of individuals that are um, detained in the Harris County Jail are parents. So just kind of remembering that as well, as well as just remembering that frontal incarceration, um, what it looks like at the state level and also what it looks at the local level. So that's why knowing the numbers are are very important, as well as another number that um, stuck out to me, particularly in my dissertation, was 50 um, for the individuals that for the parents. 50% of the charges that parents um, were arrested for were for nonviolent offenses. So for some of those um, charges, were there possibilities for alternatives to incarceration instead of removing the parent from the household? So just kind of recognizing that, you know, what impact it can have if we had different opportunities for individuals to still parent their child without being removed um, from the household. Thank you. And do you know, so what would happen to a woman maybe in a different county in Texas if she were to give birth while she was incarcerated? Do you know maybe a typical journey you could tell us? And that's that's something I'm diving into deeper because every county may be a little bit different. Um, So in every state may be a little bit different. Um, But from, from what I do know is there you know, once they have um, their baby, um, they're separated shortly after. It can be, a, you know, within a couple hours, few days, um, but they're not able, uh, unless there's a prison nursery um, in that particular county, um, they, they, they're not allowed to have their babies with them. So the baby has to, you know, usually go to the maternal grandmother or a family member or foster care. So it looks different from um, each county. And that's definitely something that I'm interested in as I expand my research to look at that particular process for each county. So that was a very good question. So I'll have to follow up with you on that one. <laughs> Don't mean to, to pull a question on you. Um, I love to have other, you know, research ideas and opportunities that I can, you know, expand on. Yeah. So for preparation for our time together, I found, and I'm not going to remember the name of it now, but there is these two women in Michigan and I think they're called women health incarcerated. I think that's what it's, what it is. Women health incarcerated W H I N C. And I think they both are in med school. Maybe one's in law school. They're in Michigan. Um, And they talk about the health of women in Michigan that are incarcerated. So they're like part of like a doula network as well. But one of the pieces that they were talking about is um, 
they were Michigan was trying to pass legislation about um, being shackled. So like some women are um, shackled while they're giving birth. Some um, are in cuffs on the way to and from the hospital. And again, this all is at a state county difference. It's it's different everywhere. Yeah, and that and that's that's what's so alarming and shocking that every county is different. And yeah, and just knowing that until, you know, some counties still do require the shackling of women during childbirth. And that's, yeah, that's another, like, have I, like as I mentioned, I have all these different areas of research that I want to dive into. That's another one that's on the list of looking into that in there. And there is legislation that had, that, that is, um, a, that discusses that as well. So yeah. Yeah. So the, the shackling piece was, was really disturbing and surprising to me. As well as they were talking about when you and maybe you can provide a little bit more clarity on this as well. I wasn't sure if it was when you're when you enter jail or if you when you enter prison, um, women get health checks and they get health screenings, including a pregnancy test. So a lot of people find out that they're pregnant when they become incarcerated. Exactly. And I've had ladies at the facility where I'm at um, share share the, the similar experience. Exactly. Yeah. Which is, I mean, I feel like some of the worst causes and conditions to realize that you're pregnant. Exactly. You're, you're right. Yeah. yeah. Um, we discuss that sometimes in our settings. Yeah. So for our community, because I agree with you completely about looking at the local level change happens on a local level. And, you know, one of these questions that we've got in here as well um, is how many of these programs exist in the U S similar to this? And how can we work at a local level to bring more alternative incarceration programming? Exactly. That is what I put on my researcher hat. And those are very good questions. Um, one of the first steps in research is um, identifying the problem. So first we have to identify the problem, which we know it's, you know, the incarceration of women, but we also need to figure out, like you said, how many of these programs exist? And then once we know how many of these different programs exist, what are the elig eligibility requirements to get into these different programs? So those are all very, very good questions. Do you know when this facility started, when they started programming like this? That's a good question. Um, I'm not sure. I'll yeah. jot that down and look into that. We'll, we'll dive further into it. Um, great. We've got some questions rolling in here now, which is amazing. Um, and so I would also invite our community um, at this time, if you have any questions for Dr. Jen um, to continue our engagement and dialogue, please drop those questions in. Um, and so we've got this first one answered, um, but actually not answered. Um, so this is an opportunity for us to do some local research of are there alternative incarceration programs where you live? Uh, let's see the next question. Um, so someone specifically looking for programs in South Carolina. Um, I teach prenatal and postnatal yoga in South Carolina and would love to teach in a program like yours. Thanks for sharing your experiences. Um, yeah, we okay. So how how would someone go about googling or researching this in their area? Um, 
The first step is just to see um, just a, a quick Google search um, and see like alternatives to incarceration for pregnant women. Um, also going to that specific um, state correctional facilities. So we have Texas Department of Correction. So I went to their website to see if they had any type of programming for incarcerated mothers. So I would say that would probably be the first step is to go to the, um, the main correctional website for your specific state and see if they, on their website, if they have any programming specifically for incarcerated mothers. Now, just because it's not on their website doesn't mean they don't have the programming. That's when you definitely have to put on your researcher cap and you have to dive into some rabbit holes, maybe make some phone calls, get to know um, um, different stakeholders in your community to just find out what programming for justice-involved um, individuals is in your community. That would be the, the first step that I would encourage. Amazing. Thank you. Um, and. Also, you can reach out to us um, if it's not necessarily specifically um, working with incarcerated mothers or an alternative program like us. Um, we are connected to hundreds of programs that we run with Prison Yoga Project throughout the country and actually the world. Um, which brings me to how did you find out about Prison Yoga Project? Yeah, so when I was in that, I, this is my favorite question when I get asked that. Um, so when I was in that rabbit hole, of wanting to provide yoga to incarcerated individuals, I just did a Google search. You know, Google is powerful. So I just Googled um, yoga in carceral settings and a lot of different places popped up. Um, Prison Yoga Project, Yoga for Change, yoga, for, yoga Behind Bars, all these different places popped up. And I just dived into rabbit holes to see what places was in my area in Houston and and trying to figure out and trying to navigate that. So that that was how I found it. I just Googled and then I just dove even deeper into um, just Prison Yoga Project to see what I could find out, um, where they at across the state. And then I just took the next steps. Amazing. And I realized they weren't in Houston. And I just made that contact, emailed, um, Prison Yoga Project, and just from there on, the ball just got rolling. I think it's really interesting about this work is that when doors open, like I heard you saying that you were calling facility after facility after facility, and then it was the one facility that it was literally like, can you start today? When can you start training? Exactly. Exactly. And then just having all the resources that Prison Yoga Project provided, um, going through the foundations training and then going through the facilitator training um, and just having all the resources that were available and the support to get it going. So there was a lot of different things I was doing behind the scenes to prepare for it as well, because there's so many other steps involved, getting yoga max, getting supplies. It's, it's a lot. Mm. So if someone wanted to get involved in Houston, what would their next steps be? Their next steps would be to contact me. I'm um, definitely looking for individuals that have a passion to do this and um, are interested in being a facilitator with um, myself in Houston. I have one other facilitator that helps me out. Shout out to Bree. Um, so glad to bring her on um, a few months ago and she's been coming to the facility as um, with, with me as well. 
So I think at the end, Blair's going to share all my contact information. Um, but, you know, however, you need to get in contact with me, shoot me an email, slide into my DMs on Instagram, go to my webpage, and um, th- there's information on there. So there's multiple different ways to get in contact with me if you're interested in, um, you know, being a facilitator with me in Houston. Perfect. And I've got a few more questions for you too. So what do you feel like are the most important aspects of offering yoga to pregnant or postpartum mothers? The most impactful, what was that, um, that first part? Yeah. Like what is important to remember when we're offering yoga and mindfulness to incarcerated populations and especially mothers? Yeah. Very good question. The first thing is humanize them just because they are incarcerated. They're still a part of our community. And, you know, we talk about that um, with, with yoga. Yoga is real big on unite, coming together. And I'm a firm believer that just because they are incarcerated, they're still a part of our community. And another big part of that is you never know when you are in a, a traditional yoga studio, you never know who was on who's on the mat next to you. You never know how they came to yoga. So it's very important to just be able to share this gift of wellness with everybody. Thank you. What are the pieces of trauma-informed yoga and facilitation that you have found beneficial when you facilitate? Oh, great question. I love that question because a lot of the things that um, when I teach through a trauma-informed lens, I incorporate the same thing when I'm at a traditional yoga studio. And I feel that no matter where you teach yoga, it should be through a trauma-informed lens because you never know who's in that particular class. So therefore, I love teaching in circles. I remember when I went through the foundations training and that was one of the first thing they mentioned was putting the yoga mats in circles. Love that. But also it's the wording, it's the cueing. Um, giving people the space to recognize that they don't have to do anything in a yoga class that they don't feel comfortable doing, but also being aware of the wordings that we use in a yoga class and how it can be triggering to some individuals. So that being very, very mindful. So a lot of the um, approaches that I use when I teach through trauma-informed, I have carried that with me into a traditional studio. And you probably couldn't even tell the difference um, how I teach trauma-informed with the incarcerated individuals and how I teach it at a traditional, at a traditional studio. Thank you. And I completely agree. It has the trauma-informed lens. You know, I do hope one day that all language and all spaces become trauma-informed. And the piece of autonomy and agency is important to weave in all spaces um, and language and communication. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I'm also interested in your 10 years of teaching and being a professor in criminal justice. Yeah. Yeah. So. 
that journey? Yeah, yeah. Will you tell me a little bit about that journey? Um, and I'm I'm interested in what you feel is essential that you when you teach your students, like what are what are the aspects of criminal justice that you bring forward um, that anchor you? Yeah, really good question. So um, as I mentioned, I have 10 years of experience of working in criminal justice. So my very first career in criminal justice was as a probation officer. So I started off as a probation officer um, and then I transitioned into um, being a, a criminal investigator for the government. And then I worked in a crime laboratory in the drug section and the firearm section. So you put all that together, there's a lot of different overlap, but I would say that the seed that was planted um, for just me loving this work and having compassion for individuals that are justice involved was probation. Probation, there are a lot of individuals that I, that I came in contact with and that was, that was a very, that was a career that just kind of planted in me the need to just really want to help individuals that are justice involved. Um, and then that just kind of kind of started my trajectory into wanting to further my education and, you know, become a, a professor um, because I wanted to just be able to bring my practitioner experience into the classroom and provide insights to students that were interested in working in criminal justice. So after, um, you know, being a practitioner for 10 years, that's when I transitioned into being a full-time professor. Um, that was about in 2014 as well. And then a few years after being a full-time professor, I decided that I wanted to dive even deeper into research. And then that's when I decided to pursue my PhD in 2017. Incredible. I wasn't aware of your previous work history as well. Um, yeah, your lived experience goes so deep. What did you see as a probation officer that made you want to work more in the system? I saw a lot with probation. I saw individuals um, not, not having childcare and having to bring their children to the probation department. And the probation department is not necessarily a place where you want to bring your children, but that was, that was our, that, that was our only option. Um, also, like how I share with my students, um, as a probation officer, you're, you're interacting with individuals at a, at a time where they have just went through the criminal justice system. They have been arrested. They may or may have not had, um, had the funds to, to bail out, to bond out. Um, maybe they had to stay in, um, in the county jail until their sentence was determined. Maybe they had an opportunity for pretrial diversion. Maybe they did not. Um, so by the time I encountered individuals in my office on the first day, of meeting with me as their probation officer, they're exhausted. You know, they have gone through so many steps in the criminal justice system that by the time they're sitting in my office, some of them just mentally had shut down. You know, they, they just wanted to do what they need to do to get through probation, or they found themselves overwhelmed by all of the conditions of probation, the, the fees, the monthly visiting, the drug testing, the, the weekly counseling. Um, it was, it was a lot. Um, 
And I'm the type of person that I have compassion for everybody. So as my role as a probation officer, they have already been arrested and judged. I am there to make sure that they abide by their conditions of probation and maybe they can see a glimmer of hope at the end of the tunnel of how they can make changes in their lives. And once, and, and just, you know, that's just kind of how I get a little, little choked up thinking about it, you know? Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. And I think having this compassionate lens is so important to the work that we do. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's definitely necessary. We have a couple more questions coming in and more questions are welcome. So if you have any questions for Dr. Jen, please drop those in the Q&A box. What sparked your interest in researching the impact on children with an incarcerated parent to begin with? That is very, very good question. Um, My lived experience. I um, had a parent that was incarcerated when I was a child. So I have personally been impacted by parental incarceration as well as sibling incarceration. And um, I've actually shared that with the individuals that I teach yoga to um, because one day, just randomly, while I was uh, facilitating a class, one of the ladies asked me, um, have you ever been to jail? And I said, no, I have not. What, what made you ask me that? And their response was, you you just seem different. Like you understand the process of the criminal justice system. You understand that it's difficult for us to be here. And that's when I shared with them, you know, yeah, I have never been incarcerated. However, I've been impacted by having family members incarcerated. So yeah, that's how I came to doing research about children um, that have um, have, um, parents incarcerated. Thank you for that question. Yeah, thank you. Can you talk more about your experience of having an incarcerated parent and how it impacted you? Yeah, so it it impacts everybody differently. So I I do remember um, vaguely going on trips or, you know, my mother taking us to the correctional facility. Um, Also, there's stigma and shame that surrounded around having a parent incarcerated. And it wasn't until way later into my adult life that I even started sharing about having a parent incarcerated. It's little things that people don't realize when you have a parent incarcerated, like simple things like donuts with dads or muffins with moms. Think about when schools have those type of events and a child whose parent is incarcerated And if people or, you know, other classmates ask that child, you know, where's your mom? Where's your dad? That's where that stigma and shame can kind of come into play. So it wasn't until later on in life that I even started openly just, you know, if I feel like it's a comfortable space and setting that I even share that um, that's my lived experience. So I think it's important to be aware of that as well. Thank you. And thank you for sharing it with us now. Um, And I can imagine how difficult holidays are. Exactly. So just this past Monday, uh, like I was sharing to you before the the um, the webinar started, um, we were we went back to the facility this past Monday. um, And the first thing I did was check in with them to see how they're feeling after the holidays. Holidays for some individuals, it's an amazing time to spend time with family members and close friends. However, if you're incarcerated or you have family members incarcerated, 
it's not such a joyful occasion. So I wanted to check in with them and just see how they were doing. And before I start any yoga class with them, I always ask how they're doing. You know, how, how was how was the holiday for you? And a lot of them shared that, you know, it was a rough time because they're not with their families. However, the facility, um, they did have chances to visit with their family members, which was all which is great. Thank you. And we have another question here as well. How do you feel about sharing yoga space with other groups within a prison? Say bringing all women together, not just current parents, bringing together women and youth, BIPOC. In other words, do you see advantages to these separate types and, and or advantages or disadvantages? I'm assuming a correctional center wouldn't allow opposite sexes together. Yes, that's true. But what about gender issues here? Lots of questions. Lots of topics happening in here. Lots of questions. Very good questions. Yeah. And kind of a, <clears throat> excuse me, just kind of a just overall way to answer that. It depends on the facility. That's one thing to realize when you are looking to teach yoga in a correctional facility. You have to abide by the, the rules and the policy of, of that particular facility. So at the facility where I'm at, I, um, I can't intermix um, the individuals in the WHO program and the individuals in the Bambi program, they have to be separate, separate. So I can't have a day like we all come do yoga. It has to, I have to do, I have to facilitate to the WHO program and facilitate to the Bambi program. So it really depends on the particular facility that you're at. Thank you. And I would say as well, um, oftentimes people are separated in facilities because of safety. Um, that's generally, I think, um, facilities rules around that, um, generally has to do with safety. Um, we have a facilitator, her name is Sue and she did an amazing thing. And I want to say she was in Maryland. Um, we had her on a webinar with the warden about a year and a half ago. And so she started a program, um, she was facilitating to men and, they would have family days. And so the families were allowed to come in and practice yoga together. Right. So that was, uh, you know, an opportunity where, um, that down as an idea. Yeah. Family day. I like that idea. Family day. Yeah. They would come and I think they would do it at least once a week. Like it was during visitation. Um, and then this was just specifically the conversation was around, um, the warden was even trying to make the space more trauma informed. So they like redid the, the waiting room um, to make it more kid friendly as well. Um, he was just trying to make it uh, a more holistic space. Um, and then it's, it's again, everything is so County and local based because also this prison was a rural prison and there was a unique aspect that the correctional officers knew the people incarcerated because that's how small of a town it was. You know, so there's different there's different aspects to all facilities is what is what I think I would share as well. Yeah, yeah. I want to give it to you, Dr. Jen. Is there anything that we haven't talked about that you would like to share in this space? Um, 
One of the main things is just um, there's lots of steps um, if you're interested in getting into this space and bringing yoga to incarcerated individuals to your particular area. The best advice that I would give is be patient. Just be patient. Um, like I said, you may have to call multiple facilities, but keep persevering through. So in the in the times that I was calling facilities and waiting to hear back, I was also raising funds for yoga supplies. I was very intentional that I didn't want to get used yoga mats are, are great and I welcome used yoga mats. But I was very intentional. I wanted I wanted the individuals to have their own yoga mat where I wanted them to have new yoga mats, because oftentimes individuals that are justice in, um, involved. They're used they're, they they're they're used to getting hand me downs. I wanted them to experience what it was like to have a brand new yoga mat or or their own yoga mat. So while I was waiting for facilities to call back and stuff, other things that I did was I would have free donation based par, um, yoga in the park. So shout out to the people when it was cold outside in November a couple of years ago and. I was having yoga in the park and um, to raise funds to buy yoga mats. So thank you to everybody that has joined me virtually to take a yoga class during the pandemic. And I was just trying to, you know, find a way to not only raise awareness about this particular population, but also to get funds in order to buy yoga mats, as well as look at other programs out there that may be willing to donate gently use yoga mats. So there's a lot of different things you can do in the process, um, as well as if you want to learn more about um, trauma-informed yoga, um, continuing education classes, you know, going through the the basic foundations class. Um, I went through that one through Prison Yoga Project. There's also um, you know, yoga teacher trainings out there where you can take um, get your yoga teacher training certification through a trauma informed lens. So there's lots of different things that you can do simultaneously if you're interested in bringing this opportunity to your community. And if you have any questions, feel free to reach out to me and I can, you know, give you more advice on that on more of a one on one, as well as if you want to um, donate to uh, Prison Yoga Project Houston. Please do. We're always welcoming donations for yoga mats. Um, and one of the best advice is that um, Nicole gave me through Prison Yoga Project when I was first getting started. And I, I was so excited to get into a facility is she reminded me to be kind to myself as well. When you go inside of a correctional facility to teach yoga, you are holding space for them. And you are going to absorb a lot. So on Mondays, on all the days that I teach yoga at the correctional facility, I make sure that I'm in the right headspace. I make sure that my calendar doesn't have a lot of meetings because I am there to hold space for them. And I just want to make sure that I'm in the right mindset. So that's why um, I took off a couple of weeks because you can't pour into an empty cup. So I wanted, I wanted, you can't pour from an empty cup. So I wanted to make sure that when I went back um, this year, 2023, that I was able to, um, you know, continue to hold space for them. So be aware of that. And as well as it's been great having a, a co-facilitator to help me out as well. So keep all of that in mind. This is an amazing journey and opportunity, but, 
that you're going to be providing this amazing service to that, you know, you're going to need yoga matcher. It's a lot of different moving pieces. So definitely take the time to educate yourself on the population to make sure that you can better serve them. Thank you, Dr. Jen. I'm going to drop the donation to prison yoga project Houston in the chat. And we'll have all of these links available as well on the podcast and any of the recordings. Um, we have a couple more questions here and then we, we, we sadly get to say goodbye. Until next time. I know until next time. Um, what has surprised you the most about this experience teaching yoga to mothers? So many things. Um, so many things. Um, one moment, one thing that really stands out to me, I, I get a little, a little teary eyed thinking about it is when um when um one of the um individuals she was so excited that she remembered um the half sun salutation and the day that I went to class that day she was so excited the first thing she said was I I did it Miss Jennifer I did it and I was like what what'd you do she was like I went through the half sun salutation and I said all the postures and I was just so excited about that. Or it's the moments when we're doing like little baby tree. Um, or if like, as soon as I walk in, they'll say things like just breathe. Cause that's what I always remind them to just breathe. So it's just, it's just a connection that I have, um, you know, developed and cultivated with them that just so many memories just so, or, or even meeting the babies. Um, that's so amazing as well. Seeing the babies growing and looking healthy and just countless memories already. Countless memories. Thank you. And I feel like that's, that, that's kind of like what ends up happening is that yoga is the reason why we come together, but actually just being together is the most important. Yes, exactly. And, that, and, one, and one more memory that stands out to me as well. There's been a couple of individuals that have expressed that they would like to be yoga teachers. And that was just amazing as well. Just knowing that they're possibly going to, you know, pay this forward as well. So all, all the things, all the things. Let them know that we have a 200 hour yoga teacher training that they are welcome into. Nice. I will. Yeah, Definitely. please. Yeah. Please. Um, and I agree with Jen, Dr. Jen as well, when she's speaking to continue to train. Um, so I started going to facilities in December. Uh, programming finally started back up in San Diego um, and, you know, got my clearance and did all of the paperwork, which our executive director, Bill, so supportingly helps me with. Um, but more and more, I see that having the right training to go in these spaces is so, so important because it is easy to do more harm than you think. And showing up consistently is important because of the relationship, right? Showing up over and over and over is one of the most important things that you can do and coming resourced. Absolutely. Anytime that I know I may need to, you know, cancel a class, communication is very important. I never want them to feel abandoned. So I'm real big on communicating to them where it's like, okay, I will not be here 
next week. However, I got some little a little bit of homework for you. So practice the the you know half sun salutation or things like that, but definitely communication because I don't want them to I don't show up for two or three weeks and then they're like, oh where where were you? Or we were concerned because because they they also eventually get concerned about you as well when you don't show up. So I never want them to feel abandoned. So I'm very big on communicating with them and even just kind of letting them know, no, this is what we possibly will do at next session. So they have something to look forward to. So that's, that's very key. Very key. Thank you. And then I think this is a great question to end with. What has this experience taught you about yourself? Wow. That's a really good question. Oh, I may have to think about that. What has it taught me about myself? Um, that's, I'm almost speechless. It's so many different things. It, it's taught me just really to trust the journey because I, you know, like I said, I was, I was focused on, you know, you know, getting inside of a correctional facility and, you know, I had to make a lot of pivots along the way. So it really taught me that I'm stronger than what I think I am. And I can just, I can push through and I can, you know, make an impact in these individuals' lives. So it's taught me a lot of things. And I'm I'm actually going to write that down and journal about that. So thank you for that question. I'm definitely going to have to let that one marinate a little bit more. So thank you for asking that question. I'm going to say thank you too, because I think I'm going to have to keep that in my back pocket. That's a really great question to engage our community with. Yeah. Um, and there's actually one more and it's great. Uh, is there a book that you would recommend that has helped you with teaching to this population or teaching from a trauma informed lens? Yes, there is. And it's a, I'm looking at it across on my bookshelf. Um, Best practices for yoga in the criminal justice system. It's across my bookshelf. I have so many bookshelves in here. That's a, that's that's a really good one. Also, um, Prison Yoga Project does an amazing job of providing us with books as well to take into the correctional facility. So that one definitely helps me as well. There's one for men and there's one for women. And both of those books have been very good as well. Mm, thank you. And... Um, whoever asked that question, I can definitely provide the links to um, both of those books as well. Thank you. And we'll drop the links here in the description of the podcast and any recordings too. Um, and you had spoken about our foundational training and I'll speak to that too. Um, so that's how I got involved with prison yoga project is I took this training and it was outstanding and it moved me in a way that it just felt really clear that I knew I wanted to do this work. And then going through the training um, really just stoked the fire in me to cultivate bravery and just be like, okay, and just put myself out there. Um, and so I came on to Prison Yoga Project about two years ago now, but it was through this training that I got involved. Um, and we really offer a lot of pathways to becoming a Prison Yoga Project facilitator. We believe in paid programming. We believe that this work has the opportunity to be paid. Um, and so, you know, volunteering 
even when I think of the word, you know, it's like, oh, it's something like nice to do or it's like a, a nice way to spend my time or it's a nice way to give back. Um, and I think there's a lot more embodiment that we offer when there are paid opportunities because it allows us to show up over and over again. And we don't necessarily have to make other choices or make other sacrifices. Um, and so really just showing up consistently for our community is so important. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. And also with that, um, let's help fund Dr. Jen's program, right? Yes. Supporting these mothers. Always in need of yoga mats and yoga blocks and yes, anything, anything, everything is welcome to help us. Would you like me to say your email address as well so people can get in contact with you? Okay, great. Uh, If you want to get in touch with Dr. Jennifer, you can email her at Jennifer, J-E-N-N-I-F-E-R at pagesandposes.com. Jennifer at pagesandposes.com. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today. This was so awesome. This uh, we need a part two. I, I, I enjoyed this. This was amazing. Please, we would love to have you back and let us know how this conference goes. I would love if it turned into a blog or any other kind of opportunity to share more of your experiences with our community. We would love it. Love that. Thank you all so much. Thank you. And and you're you are part of this community. So, I mean, I'm just so grateful to be able to be here with you and to talk about this work. It's so important. Likewise, you're fantastic as well. It's been great chatting with you. Thank you so much, Dr. Jen. Welcome.